Welcome to Shofar Cape Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. I want to just, I want to just catch up from Rapula. That's amazing. But the story's not done. Amen. God does things in our lives and he's, he's, he's always working. Amen. And he builds our story. He, uh, the scripture says, Acts chapter 15 verse 18, it says, Known from eternity are the works of God. Right? He's busy working and he's not done. Shake the person next to you and say, he's not done with you yet. Shake the other person and say, he's going to catch you. <laughs> he's already busy with you. Shake, shake that person. Shake him awake. Right? God is busy with you. And so am I. <laughs> okay. All right, there's many preachers in this church, have you noticed? All right, Malusi, eh? Many preachers. <laughs> so, so I'm just going to be quick, quick, wrap up the service. You know, enough preaching, enough preaching. Okay, no, no, serious. On a serious note, I'm going to do some equipping with you tonight. Just, just give you some... Um, tools um, on how to engage. And I've got a specific word for one or two individuals that God, I believe, is going to call you specifically tonight. Again, known from eternity are the works of God. And so God is busy. There is something that God had from eternity planned for tonight, right? And he's, he's, he's going to do something that is life-altering, right? He's going to do something that affects, that will affect eternity, in the service. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he's able? Do you believe that he wants to? All right. And he's doing it. He's doing it. And so, um, you know, there was a man, and this is the word for someone. There was a man called Apollos. Who remembers Apollos in the scriptures? Okay. It says that he, he went with great fervor, um, persuading people about Jesus. Okay. But something that you must know about Apollos is he only had the baptism of John, okay? That's, that's all he knew. He didn't have much, okay? So if you look at, um, you know, the, the scripture says that um, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, at some point they found this guy, Apollos. He was teaching people, and they said to him, listen, listen, did you, have you heard about Jesus and the Holy Spirit? So let's pray for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit, right? They taught him um, more adequately about God, the scripture says, Okay, so obviously from there on, uh, you know, his life must have been rocked. Can you just imagine? You know, he, he fervently um, spoke about Jesus, but he didn't, uh, was not filled with the Holy Spirit yet. Can you imagine what happened when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Amen. And so he just had the baptism of John. I mean, think about it. How much do you know about God? You know, the Bible speaks about the basic doctrines of faith. One of them is is um, baptism. So he'd like, he had like a very little, but that didn't stop him from going out there, right? From, from taking the little that he had, and he fervently told the people about this Jesus. Isn't that amazing, right? Sometimes we have this thing, we, we need to get a lot before we can give. No, 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 no. Take what you have and give it, right? And so someone's going to be called today to take a stand like an Apollos, 
and specifically be anointed to, to reason with people, right? We, we think sometimes faith is, you know, it's this experience, right? But faith can include reasoning. Paul went about to the synagogues and he reasoned with the Jews, right? But he didn't just reason with the Jews. He went to the, the philosophers of the day. Remember the unknown God? And he told them about this unknown God. And he was able to accurately persuade people to accept Jesus, right? And, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Right? God can touch your mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just con limited to, to your experiences, to your body, to, you know, He can touch your emotions, He can touch your mind, amen? Right? So we're going to talk about your mind, and like I said, it's just a, a couple of equipping tools for you to, to be able to connect and to just kickstart um, that ability in you to reason. Amen. All of us have the ability to share of the hope that is in us. Right? Matthew said it earlier. This hope is inside of us. Christ, the hope of glory, is in you. Right? Are you going to keep the hope locked up inside of you? Or are you going to share the hope? Right? He's, he's, he's given us hope so that we can share the hope um, with the world. So, let's talk about... Um, coming to God, and I'm going to talk like the, you don't know anything about God, you don't believe in the scriptures, uh, you maybe have heard of Jesus, but you're not convinced that Jesus is God. All right, so what would your approach be to explain to such a person that God is God and Jesus is the God, and you must be born again and know this Jesus? What, what would your approach be? And so you can, you can, there's this like, you know, it's amazing how God has designed this world. Um, the book of Corinthians says that you can look at creation, and creation points you to Jesus. Amen? You can look at how intricately um, designed this world is, and that points to the Creator. Right? And there's, there's all parts of this life points us to Jesus. And so, there are philosophical arguments to the existence of God. There are... Um, the moral arguments to the existence of God, some of the most um, amazing um, ways of coming to the conclusion that God is God and God is real, is the moral argument. It's in, in fact, it's probably one of the most convincing ones. Um, I don't have time to go into it, but read a book um, called Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Anyone's read that book? You must read that book. It's a good one. Right. Amen. Robert. Yeah, read that book. It's really incredible um, to help people discover the truths that they already are aware of and connected to the reality of God. Then there's the design argument or the theological argument, um, the cosmological argument from contingency, contingency, and then a slightly different one, um, take on this, uh, the first cause argument, which basically both of them come down to where did everything start? Every worldview needs to answer that question. Where, where did everything come from? Okay, now, you know, evolution and creation and naturalism says that there was a big bang. So let's talk about this big bang. What actually happened? What caused the big bang? A lot of, like, really simple questions we can ask to get to, um, 
you know, not a lot of substance, right? The Bible says that in the beginning was God, and God created the heavens and the earth. And, and that um, argument um, leads to the deduction that God is God, and He created this universe, and He sent His Son, Jesus. And so we can go into those. I'm just sort of running through them. But then to me, the best and most simplest, in fact, this is what the early church did, is they preached Jesus. Now, Jesus is the best apologetic of God, right? Jesus and the person of Jesus is the most convincing thing um, to, to bring us to the fact that God is real and He lives in this, this world and he, and he died for us to save us. And so, C.S. Lewis says that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If I find this, this hole in me, and, and, and I've been trying, we, 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 we know we've been there, right? We've, we've been trying, we've, we were at, it, at that stage where we didn't know God, and we were trying and pursuing things on this search to be fulfilled, and it just doesn't work. Who, who was there? Who remembers crying out to God? right? I believe we all at some point, whether you, you knew about God from, you know, growing up as a kid, you were taught the scriptures, um, there would still be a, a moment where you cried out to God. I remember um, I was a Christian, but actually, in theory, I was a Christian. In, in practice, I was agnostic. In other words, I, I believe that there was a God out there, but I didn't want to give an account to a God, so I lived like I wanted to live. Um, I, I didn't live like there was a, a God, Jesus, in, to whom I need to give an account to one day, right? And so um, I remember one day my life was in a mess, which is always the case if you are walking contrary to the ways of God. Um, and I was desperate one night. I was drunk. Uh, in Afrikaans, you say, drunk verdriet. You guys know what that means, right? Um, what do you say in English? Wasted. <laughs> when you get depressed when you're drunk, you know, like that. Okay, you know, some of you guys have never been unsaved, it seems. Right? You don't know about getting drunk at all. And so I was like really depressed one night and I cried out to God. I actually forgot about that night. A couple of weeks after I got, uh, came to salvation, God reminded me that I actually cried out to Him. I forgot about that moment, and then God sent people into my life, and I, I came to Jesus. You know, that's why the book of Romans says, anyone who cries out to God, to Jesus, will be saved. I mean, God, He responds. He makes a way. Wherever you are, you can be by yourself, um, alone, no one to connect with, no Christians around you. If you cry out to God, God will make a way for you to come to Him, Right? You believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, God will save you. Right, back to Jesus as the apologetic. Now, first we need to talk about truth and what is truth. Let me ask you a couple of questions. If nine people agree on something, but the tenth person disagrees with them, but he is right, who's right? The tenth person, right? Okay. 
it doesn't matter that there are nine other people that think different. If the tenth person is right, he's right. Okay, let me, let me, let's, see, let's see if we're going to get this. If 99 people agree on something, but the hundredth person disagree but is right, who's right? The, the hundredth guy. Okay. Now, it, it, it brings a sort of certain light on sociological studies. Who, who studies sociology? Human sciences? Only a couple of us. Okay. So, I also studied um, social sciences. I studied comparative religious studies. Um, when I was already in the ministry, I studied engineering um, before I went into ministry. And in ministry, a lot of my peers started studying theology. And I felt God said, but I mustn't study theology. I must study comparative religious studies. And so I studied at UCT, post-grad, um, on comparative religion. And uh, the reason why God gave me a word, he said, um, become all things to all men, so that at least some might be saved. And so God sent me to be, to be able to understand how people think that think different to what I think, so that through God's power they can be reached amen right and so um, 2.18 billion people claim to follow christ that does not prove that they are right unless of course the claims of christ is in fact right okay right the fact that there are 2.18 billion people points to the fact that we need to pay attention on this man jesus right whether you're saved or not saved Christian or not, Jesus calls us to consider his life. Amen? It's, it's like this whole world is, so, there's so many indicators. Have you noticed that history is pivoted around a moment? And that moment is the life of Jesus. We say AC or BC, right? Before or after Christ. Everything is pivoted around it. I know academia wants to get away from that. And we want to, you know, use other reference points. But, but now all, everyone knows history is pivoted around a point. And that is when Jesus, the Son of God, became a man so that you and I can be saved. All right? So it points to that Jesus' influence today is more than it has ever been. I'm going to come back to that in a second. But let's talk about truth. Some people, and, and I'm just sharing, like, like I would have conversations with people that are not saved, um, but some people will say truth is relative. They'd be like, wow, you're talking about God. That's amazing. It's amazing for you. Not amazing for me, right? That's your truth. I've got a different truth. Who's, who's had that sort of a, you know, experience, okay? It's, it's nice. It's nice for you, but not for me, okay? Now, they would argue and they would say, but truth is relative. There's a relativity to truth, right? However, there's what we call the law of logic. The law of logic says this, um, two contradicting statements cannot both be true at the same time. One can be true and both can be false, um, but they cannot both be true at the same time. Okay, so we can have an argument, Cage and I can say this and that. Um, we can both be wrong, one of us can be wrong and the other one right, but we cannot both be right at the same time. 
Now, if someone comes to you and says, no, but the law of logic doesn't hold, um, there is no such thing as an absolute truth. You are wrong. If you, KG, you're saying there is absolute truth. If I come to him and I say to him, no, 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 there is no such thing as absolute truth. Am I contradicting myself or not? Okay. I'm saying to him, you are not right, I'm right. So the very thing that I'm doing is contradicting what I'm saying. I'm saying either believe you or believe me. You get what I'm saying? The, the statement that there is no such thing as absolute truth self-destructs. Okay? Because are you asking me to believe you or not? Are you, asking, are you saying it's true or not? So when you say there's no such thing as absolute truth, are you absolutely wanting me to believe you? Or absolutely not? It's confusing, right? There is absolute truth. And we can speak about this um, for a long time. But I want to just leave that with you. There is just one truth. There's, um, Ravi Zacharias says, um, there's no such thing as a one-ended stick. Right? There are two sides of a stick. It cannot even be imagined. Okay? The laws of logic. Now, the next thing is the uniqueness of Christ. A couple of guys that I'm going to quote now. You see them on the screen. Um, some of them are not even Christians. They're just historians. All of them are historians. One of them is a Christian historian. The others are not even Christian. Look at what they say. This Jesus of Nazareth, sorry, Kenneth Scott Latourette says the following, a great historian. As the centuries pass, the evidence is accumulating that measured by his effect of history, Jesus is the most influential life ever lived on this planet, and the influence appears to be mounting. Philip Schaff says, this Jesus of Nazareth, without money or arms, conquered more millions than Alexander, Caesar, Muhammad, and Napoleon Without science and learning, he shed more light on things human and divine than all philosophers and scholars combined, without the eloquence of schools. He spoke such words of life as were never spoken before or since and produced effects which lie beyond the reach of an orator or poet. Without writing a single line, he set more pens in motion and furnished themes for more sermons, orations, discussions, Learned volumes, works of art, and songs of praise than the whole army of great men of ancient and modern times. Martin Scott says the influence of Jesus on mankind is today as strong as, as it was when he dwelt among men. Okay, so there's no one that compares to Jesus. There's no one that even comes close to this man, Jesus. His life 2,000 years ago has a greater effect today than it's ever had, right? You should really just pause and look at this life. And so when I have conversations with people, I say, let's just, just, just investigate Jesus. Take Jesus to court, right? And see this person, it's worth, if you look at the signs, it's worth you just putting him on trial, okay? And, you know, I've got absolute confidence that Jesus on trial always proves right. Right? He always, you know, it's, it's infallible the things that Jesus says. And because he's God, it is true. And so we can be confident in that. Now, the big thing about Jesus 
And the, the most important thing about his life is this one moment when Jesus was raised from the dead. Okay, the resurrection. Okay, if the resurrection, everything hangs on it. If the resurrection happened, we are right. Amen. And praise God, there's an eternal life. If it is not, uh oh. Okay, big problem. You guys agree? This, it's like really, you, you cannot like be a Christian and then, you know, don't believe the resurrection happened. That's quite sad, right? In fact, Paul says, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, we are the most pitiable of all people. People should look at us and be shame. Shame, look at these people. They follow Jesus. All right, so you guys agree. The resurrection, it's either Jesus raised from the, was raised from the dead or nothing else. Okay, it is absolutely everything rests on the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, now you are the best person. I know Jesus was raised from the dead because he raised me from the dead. All right? I was a witness. I was there. You know, Matthew spoke about the fact that you and I, we're witnesses. Okay, now, I, I'm a witness of what Jesus has done. In fact, I'm the best witness. There's no one better to tell of what Jesus has done in your life, his resurrection in your life, than you yourself. I, I remember, you know, my parents and my family and my brother and my sister, they were the closest to me. So they could, they could witness because they could say, well, that guy, you know, our son or my brother, he was like that. He was like a, a drunkard, right? And then something changed. Something changed. And it, it's like he's a different person. You know, he, he used to be addicted and he used to um, have all these, you know, this track record. But now he's a different man. So they could be witnesses of what Jesus had done in my life. But I was the best witness because I experienced it firsthand. Jesus came and he... He pulled me from, from dead, being dead, and he made me alive. From darkness into light. Amen? Now and then. So you must share that story. Get into the habit of sharing that story. Because if you don't share it, who else will share the story of Jesus in your life? And how he has raised you from the dead. All right, so share your story. Share of the resurrection and the life um, of Jesus in your life. Let's look at the actual historical account and this really helps people to to discover um, the reality of Jesus and what he has done and so I'm going to give you three truths the first truth is Jesus died on the cross Jesus was a, a person that lived okay he lived in this world and he died on the cross now 99 0.9% of historians, and again, we're talking about secular and Christian, all historians, 99.9% of historians would say that Jesus was an actual person that died on the cross. Okay, now, there's, there's two theories. Um, uh, one is called the swoon theory, and the other is called the substitution theory. The, the swoon theory is that Jesus was was about to go to the cross, in fact, might have gone to the cross, but he passed out, so they took him off of the cross, and he didn't die, he was alive, okay? 
the other theory is that uh, called the substitution theory. They say that um, Jesus went to the cross, but just before he, he, they put him on the cross, they took Judas, who, who um, f- um, uh, betrayed Jesus, right? And they put him on the cross, okay? Now, both these theories have no zero um, proof to them, okay? They, they've basically um, been historically proven as incorrect more than 100 years ago, all right? So, uh, no historian would say that that is the case because there's simply no, no evidence. 99.9% of scholars said Jesus was a real person and he died on the cross. Okay, that's the first truth. The second truth is there was an empty tomb. There was an empty tomb. Okay, so Christianity began in Jerusalem. And if Jesus' body had still been in the tomb, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem could have easily ended Christianity by parading Jesus' body throughout the city. Um, That they didn't do it lends way to the position that the tomb was empty. It was a bodily resurrection. So, you are well aware that Jesus had many enemies, right? Um, The Romans, you know, if you look at history, um, they were fiercely against Christianity, killed thousands upon thousands of Christians in early church history. Um, There were the Jewish high priests and the religious leaders of the days. They were fierce opponents of Jesus. We had Paul who was previously Saul, who killed many Christians, okay? Now, many of these enemies, they were the authorities of the day, and they, if the tomb was not empty, could have gone to the tomb, took out the body of Jesus, paraded Jesus in the streets, and done. No Christianity. No such thing as Christianity, because he has the body. You guys say that he's risen from the dead, but yes, the body. No, it didn't happen. The tomb was empty. Okay, the tomb was empty. The third truth, actually, just before the third one, William Wand, a former professor uh, from Oxford University, says, all the strictly historical evidence we have is in favor of the empty tomb, and those scholars who reject it ought to recognize that they do so on some other ground than that of scientific history. Okay, so we haven't, we haven't even touched on belief. We haven't touched on faith yet, right? Um, we've just looked at evidence. Okay, the third truth is the testimony of the followers and the opponents of Jesus. So the first statement here would say that um, liars... Make bad martyrs. Now you had the 12 disciples, which you know, became 11. Of the 11 disciples or apostles, 10 of them died a martyr's death. Okay? The 11th, um, John, again at the conference, we reminded that he was tortured, thrown into a boiling pot, um, and he survived. And then he was casted out to the Isle of Patmos. They wrote the book of, of Revelations. Right? Of the other ten, all of them died for the sake of Christ. Okay. Now, 
if that was a lie, if those 10 or 11 guys came together and they said, let's, 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 let's make up this lie, right? Let's, uh, you know, conjure up this thing. Surely just before they're going to cut off that person's head or hang the person, it's, it's a good time to say, sorry guys, bad joke, bad joke. You know, we, we, we made this up, we made this up. It's, it's not really the case. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. But no, they didn't, okay? They didn't do it. Um, now, my question to you is, who would die for a lie? Okay? Who would die for a lie? No one. Maybe you would suffer for a lie. Maybe you would, you know, come up with, we, 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 we as a group of people, decided we're going to make up this. I will suffer a little bit. Um, but no one in their right mind would die for a lie. Now you could say, but maybe they were uh, hallucinating. Maybe they were delusional. Maybe they weren't well. Now, you don't, there's no such thing as mass hallucinations, right? That could have been the case maybe for one of them. Maybe, maybe two, statistically quite hard. But not for all 10 or 11 of them, okay? These were just the followers of Jesus. Now let's go on to the opponents of Jesus, okay? The fiercest opponent of Jesus was, who can tell me, who killed a lot of Christians in the book of Acts? Saul. Saul. So he was an enemy of Jesus. And we're not talking about fun and games. We're talking about killing hundreds of thousands of Christians. Now, I mean, that's quite ruthless, right? Paul killed people because of this Jesus. This Paul, in the end, his life was changed and he testified that he saw the resurrected Jesus. Okay? So not only the witness of, of um, those that followed Jesus, but his fiercest opponents testified that he rose from the dead. Okay. Now, the, the final question remains, if Jesus raised from, was raised from the dead, all the evidence that we see, there was a, the, Jesus lived this life, he died on the cross, there was an empty tomb, and all, um, his, this, all his followers witnessed, it wasn't just the 12 disciples, but 512 gave witness that they saw him, okay? And his opponents, so all of this lines up that he rose from the dead. The only question that remains is, can God do it? Can God raise someone from the dead? Okay, now, to answer that question, you need to ask yourself, what is your definition of God? Now, many people that don't know God or don't know Jesus, when you have a conversation with them, you'll say God, they'll say God, but you mean one thing, they mean another thing. Okay, look at, um, is that um, definition of Google, um, go and check Google, um, if, you, if you say define God, it gives you this definition of God. One, in Christianity and other monotheistic religions, it's the creator and ruler of the universe and source of all moral authority, a supreme being. And then secondly, the second definition in, uh, is a superhuman being or spirit worshipped as having power over nature or human fortunes, a deity. All right? 
Um, and then it uses, you know, the word God can be used as an emphasis or express emotions such as surprise, anger, or sickness. And the example they give there is, God, what did I do to deserve this? Right? Isn't that interesting? You know, um, people that don't believe in God, the moment something bad happens, they're like, God, why did that happen? Isn't that ironic? Have you ever been on a, like a really shaky plane? Right? There are no atheists on a falling plane. <laughs> All people pray to God. It's the best time. If you, your plane is a bit shaky, share the gospel. It's the best opportunity. Everyone prays to God. There's no one else that they pray to. There's no other thing to do. But everyone knows that there's a God suddenly when that happens. All right. Now, just bear with me quickly. We're going to pray in a second. So, some people, when they say God, they say, they look at, and again, studied of, a student of comparative religion, um, this, the science of religion would say that religion came from the place where God, a man would look at this world and not be able to understand this world. Um, every place that he, he found that he was not able to understand what had happened there, he, was, he would say, it is a God, or it was God. So, Lightning would strike the earth, and man didn't understand what it was, and so he says, okay, no, it's, it's uh, Zeus, right? He struck the ground, so there's a God, okay? Or we would look at the moon, and we would say, how did that thing, there must be a moon God, okay? Now, man discovers more about this world, science develops more. We discover, no, 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 lightning works like this. There's these particles that clash, and boom, lightning. We can explain it completely. So now people say we don't need God anymore, all right? God was there before we understood. Now we understand. So God disappears, right? There's no Zeus. Uh, we actually understand what, what happens, and lightning is just like really natural, and we can explain it, okay? The, 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 the problem there is that your definition of God is like um, John Lennox would say, he's the God of the gaps. That's your definition of God, God. When the gap is filled, the need for God disappears. The difference between that definition and my definition of God is my God is the God of the whole show. He is the creator. He didn't create, he's not the God of the gaps. He made the gaps. And he made everything between. Right? He made all of us. He made the mind that we use to think. He created everything. Right? And so when I discover something new in this world, it teaches me something more about God. My faith isn't weakened. My faith is strengthened. I'm like, wow, this is amazing. There's more, more billions of universes and stars and things that are discovered. This God is so massive. All right? It, it increases my faith because my definition of God is correct. Now, if this is your definition of God, it is more sensible that this God can do miracles than that he can't. Okay? Does that make sense? Would it be sensible to say that there is a being that created everything, but now is not able to intervene in the affairs of this world? No, that is not sensible. It's very reasonable that this God created everything can intervene into this life, cause a seed to open up, cause 
blind eyes to open and deaf ears to, to, to be able to hear. It's very sensible. He created the ear, right? It is so sensible. And so this God that created you and me, that sent Jesus to the earth, it is very reasonable. It's very sensible to say that he is able to not just raise Jesus from the dead, but to raise us from the dead and, and, and bring us into eternity and awaken the eternity that is in our hearts. Ravi Zacharias, and, and in a time of very hopelessness in our nation and in the world, he says, outside the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I know of no hope for humankind. If, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, there's no hope. But if he did, there is hope, and the hope is in us. G.K. Chesterton says, Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Joy, which was the small publicity of the pagan, is the gigantic secret of Christian, the Christian. We carry in us what the world needs. Right? Don't let the world tell you something different. You have hope in you. You have joy in you. I remember when I came to Jesus, I just had this joy in me, you know, that I couldn't contain. I would walk in the road and I would just speak to Jesus and I, people thought I would, was crazy when I would just burst out laughing because I had just had joy, right? It's this gigantic secret, but don't keep it a secret. Share the joy, right? This world needs the joy. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? tonight so God is God and he has determined from the beginning his works from eternity he has determined things so this week there are some appointments in your life God appointments he's going to do it Right? He's already he has already determined and committed himself to doing things in your life. I believe every day there is a at least one moment for you to discover something about God. One moment, at least one, to share the hope that is in you. Amen. Right? Because he is working, he is moving. Jesus says, My father is always busy. He never sleeps. Right? And so he's active in this world. And so I want to pray for you as we're going to end this, this, this meeting tonight. It's been so amazing just coming into the presence of God. Wasn't it amazing? The fact that the healing of Jesus wasn't just for 2,000 years ago, but in our worship, God comes to heal us. Amen. Thanks, Rapula, for your testimony. Jesus is the healer. Sometimes he does it in a way that you and I don't understand, right? He comes and he says, God loves you. And if you were just to receive it. See, one of the biggest things in this Christian walk is to receive from God. If you can just receive it, God can do it, right? You cannot give unless you've received. So sometimes we just need to receive. Receive what God has for us and what He's given us. And so, while every eye is closed, I want to pray for you yet tonight that you would begin 
to just receive from the Father His love, His acceptance, His joy. So we want to just pray for you that you would receive the love of God and His acceptance and the joy. Awaken the joy. For some on here, I feel God says that the enemy has tried to steal your joy, but God's going to restore it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you, Jesus, for what you, have, what you have done in us. Thank you that we can be your sons and daughters, and God, we can just... Come into the presence of the Father, knowing that you are the good Father. You are good, and you love us perfectly. And so God, before we're going to just agree with you, before we're going to allow your Holy Spirit to ignite us and to commission us into this world, we want to just have a moment of honesty, a moment of clarity, where we can say, Jesus... We love you. Jesus, we thank you for your goodness. So while every eye is closed, if you are here today and you want to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. You want to say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. You want to say, Jesus, Maybe I've just slipped away and I've backslidden. I've done wrong things. I've I've been overwhelmed by negativity, negative emotions. No matter where you are at, but if you know that Jesus is calling you tonight, I want you to be very bold. I want you just to raise your hand where you're standing. To say, Jesus, I surrender all of my life. Thank you for those hands. Is there anyone else? Jesus, you rose so that I can live. You died so that I can come to life. And I accept you, Jesus, as the author of life, the one that saves me, the one that heals me. And Jesus, I'm going to grab hold of you not because of what you can do for me and how you can heal me, but because of who you are. You're amazing, Jesus. Thank you for all those hands. Is there anyone else? I'm going to ask you if you raise your hand, and even if you didn't, but you know you need to come to Jesus. Don't wait for another time. Don't wait till you go home or while you're just by yourself. Come to Jesus when He calls you. So I'm going to ask you to be very bold. If you raise your hand, I want you to come out from where you are. And I want you to stand right here in the front. And make a stand. Say, Jesus, I am yours. And I come to you. Won't you, those people that raise their hands, no matter how many times you've come to Jesus. Let's put our hands together for these people that respond to Jesus. Hallelujah. There were some other hands. Don't be shy. Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. But he also says, we always tempted to quote half a scripture. The next part of it is, if you deny me before men, 
I will deny you before the Father. And the good news is that Peter rejected Jesus three times, but God redeemed him. Right? God is able to redeem us, even in times when we are unfaithful. So I want to say to you, maybe you feel tonight that you have missed it. God says, I receive you. I redeem you. So if that's you, I want you to come out. Humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself. While every eye is closed, let's just, let's just wait. This is the only moment, and we're not going to continue unless God is done. But He's busy working in, in someone's heart right now. God says, I'm not done with you. God says, you need to come. Thank you. Thank you for coming. So one last person, one, one last person needs to come needs to bow the knee. The Bible says that every knee, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for your boldness, hallelujah. That is amazing. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'm going to ask you guys here in front to, to look at me, to look up, and to know that God accepts you. Jesus accepts you. The fact that you're standing here means that He's called you and He's receiving you. And I want you to pray this prayer, no matter how long you've been following God, or maybe you've never confessed Jesus, I want you to pray this prayer from your heart. Not because I'm saying it, because we're all repeating it, but because Jesus is calling you right now. And God will do the greatest miracle. I've seen blind eyes open, deaf ears open, lame people walking, but the greatest miracle is the miracle of Jesus transforming a heart. He can do it. And as you respond, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Jesus does it. All right? So pray from your heart and let's all pray together with these precious people. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you right now with all of my being, with all of my heart. And I ask you, Jesus, that you would raise me up. Give me new life. Save me, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Make me new. I choose you. And I reject the old. I thank you, Jesus, that you give me abundance of life. As I accept you, Jesus, as my Savior. And now, Lord Jesus, I crown you as the king of my life. No longer am I the Lord of my life, but you are my king. You determine the path of my life. And I thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you some of the small group leaders and leaders in church to just come and pray these precious people in front and you'd notice that some people are here that have known God and the fact that you may be here for the second or third or fourth time is precious to God because you know what and I said this to someone this week I get saved often I get saved often because I need to get saved often amen right Jesus comes and he saves you but he saves you again and he saves you again because there's a depth of our hearts that Jesus comes and He redeems us and He saves us. So if you may be here a second or a third or a fourth time, 
Allow Jesus in deeper, to touch you deeper, to save you again, and to renew that joy. He wants to renew that joy, joy and, and, and kindle the flame in your heart. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you, you come and restore the joy. Restore the joy, even like a David, God. He's like a David, God. Like in Psalm 54, you renewed his joy. You gave him a new heart, a soft heart, God. He knew you before, but God, in that moment, there was a depth of heart. There was a renewal that happened. Lord, you gave him a, a soft heart, Lord, where his heart had, had been hardened because of circumstances and because of, of challenges that he's been facing. But right now, God, I thank you that you soften his heart and you redeem him. You make him a worshiper that just experiences that joy, the joy, the joy. And so right now, by your Holy Spirit, fill him with joy, new joy, a new anointing, a new measure of your spirit as you come and wash him clean, make him new in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, that you remove all the sin as far as the east is from the west. We're all sinners. We're all sinners in need of your saving Jesus and that you come and remove it as far as the east is from the west and Father that you redeem him and you say this this evening that he's, he's yours he's your son in whom you're well pleased God your pleasure your pleasure is at his right hand God he will not be shaken God he will not be shaken and God even as, as he's been through Lord the valley of the shadow of death Lord through circumstances that has felt like like it's it's shaken his faith and it's shaken him to the core lord he will not be shaken in fact those circumstances will just make him stronger and i thank you lord that you are here to to clothe him with your strength tonight in jesus name in jesus name